That summer was a particularly rich one. It seemed as if the sun had drawn up a special bounty from the island, for never had we had such an abundance of fruit and flowers, never had the sea been so warm and filled with fish, never had so many birds reared their young, or butterflies and other insects hatched and shimmered across the countryside. Watermelons, their flesh as crisp and cool as pink snow, were formidable botanical cannonballs, each one big enough and heavy enough to obliterate a city. Peaches, as orange or pink as a harvest moon, loomed huge in the trees, their thick velvety pelts swollen with sweet juice. The green and black figs burst with the pressure of their sap, and in the pink splits the gold-green rose beetles sat dazed by the rich, never-ending largesse. Trees had been groaning with the weight of cherries, so that the orchard looked as though some great dragon had been slain among the trees, bespattering the leaves with scarlet and wine-red drops of blood. The maize cobs were as long as your arm, and as you bit into the canary-yellow mosaic of seeds, the white milky juice burst into your mouth. And in the trees, swelling and fattening themselves for autumn, were the jade-green almonds and walnuts and olives, smoothly shaped, bright and shining as bird's eggs strung among the leaves. Naturally, with the island thus aburst with life, my collecting activities redoubled. As well as my regular weekly afternoons spent with Theodore, I now undertook much more daring and comprehensive expeditions than I had ever been able to do before, for now I had acquired a donkey. This beast, Sally by name, had been a birthday present, and as a means of covering long distances and carrying a lot of equipment, I found her an invaluable if stubborn companion. To offset her stubbornness, she had one great virtue. She was, like all donkeys, endlessly patient. She would gaze happily into space while I watched some creature or other, or else would simply fall into a donkey doze, that happy trance-like state that donkeys can attain when, with half-closed eyes, they appear to be dreaming of some nirvana and become impervious to shouts, threats, or even wax with sticks. The dogs, after a short period of patience, would start to yawn and sigh and scratch and show by many small signs that they felt we had devoted enough time to a spider or whatever it was, and moved on. Sally, however, once she was in her doze, gave the impression that she would happily stay there for several days if the necessity arose. One day a peasant friend of mine, a man who had obtained a number of my specimens for me and who was a careful observer, informed me that there were two huge birds hanging about in a rocky valley some five miles north of the villa. He thought that they must be nesting there. From his description they could only be eagles or vultures, and I was most anxious to try to get some of either of these birds. My birds of prey collection now numbered three species of owl, a sparrowhawk, a merlin, and a kestrel, so I felt the addition of an eagle or vulture would round it off. Needless to say, I did not vouchsafe my ambition to the family, as already the meat bill for my animals was astronomical. Apart from this, I could imagine Larry's reaction to the suggestion of a vulture being inserted into the house. When acquiring new pets, I always found it wiser to face him with the fait accompli, for once the animals were introduced to the villa, I could generally count on getting Mother and Margot on my side.